Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20 is a one-of-a-kind passage on spiritual warfare. There is no other passage in the New Testament that deals with spiritual warfare from the perspective of what Paul writes in these verses. In verses 10 through 13, Christians are instructed that there is a war going on. And in light of that war, uh, we are to be strong in Christ. We are to be armed. Uh, We are to know our enemies and we are to fight with the end result that we are standing firm, that we are standing strong in the Lord Jesus because we have taken up the full armor of God and put it on. In verses 14 through 17, Paul identifies the pieces of armor and he identifies them piece by piece. We are to put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel shoes of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and last of all, the sword of the spirit, which Paul says is the word of God. Last Sunday, beginning in verse 18, we learned a very, very very, very valuable lesson. And that lesson is that it's important It's critical, it's crucial to put on the full armor of God. If we're going to stand on the battlefield for our Lord, we must put on each piece of armor and keep it on. But what we learned last Sunday, that that is not enough when it comes to the battle that we are in. You and I can put on all the pieces of armor and yet fail when it comes to spiritual warfare. Paul lets us know that the Christian stands by being engaged in vigilant warfare praying. That the Christian stands by by praying and being on the alert. And we learn at the very end that this kind of praying is to be well-rounded, is to be steady, It's to be spirit-influenced, it's to be focused, it's to be accompanied, but most of all, the last thing that we learn is that it is to be intercessory. The vigilant warfare praying that Paul speaks of demands that we are praying for all the saints. That's because all believers are involved in spiritual warfare. And as believers, we don't just simply pray for ourselves, but we recognize that our brothers and sisters in Christ are standing on the battlefield for the Lord, and they need our prayers. So we are to pray for others. We are to pray for all the saints. But guess what? Vigilant warfare praying It's not just for others. It's not just for others in general, but it's not just for others as saints. But there's a particular saint that vigilant warfare praying involves. Paul says, yes, pray for all the saints. But he says, please, 
don't forget to pray for me. We are to pray for all the saints, but there are times that our prayers need to focus in on individual, particular saints. And that's what Paul communicates to us in verses 19 through 20. Pray for all the saints, but pray on my behalf. And what we learn from this is that spiritual leaders are involved in an intense war with Satan and his demonic beings. Paul is indirectly telling us that our spiritual leaders need the prayers of the people of God because Satan seeks to throw his flaming missiles at them in particular. And Satan seeks to cause them to fall in the evil day. And so Paul says, pray for me. I'm not exempt from spiritual warfare. The great apostle Paul, who writes 13 letters of the New Testament, whose doctrine and whose theology is perfect, so to speak. Yet he is dependent upon the prayers of the people of God. Paul says, pray for me. We we learn that spiritual leaders need the prayers of the people of God. But we also learn something else that's really important, is that spiritual leaders should model that they are not too proud to beg for the prayers of God's people. Thus the title, ain't too proud to beg. Paul was not too proud to beg. He was not too proud to not get on his knees and say to these Christians, I need you. I need you. I need you to pray for me. And so as we come to these two verses, we want to look at this model. And not only look at this model, but we want to follow it. We as Christians, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to be informing others and asking others, pray for me, pray for me. And Paul sets the example for us. He models this marvelous truth that those who are in spiritual warfare realize that they need the prayers of others. And they realize it to such an extent that they're willing to go to others and say to others, pray for me. And not just pray for me in general, but pray for me in particular. This is what I need you to pray on my behalf before our God in light of the fact that I, as an individual, am involved in a spiritual War, And so as we come to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, and conclude our study on spiritual warfare, I want you to see two particular prayer items that was on Paul's prayer list that he shared with these Christians at Ephesus. Paul, the apostle, begs for utterance. He doesn't go to God directly, but he's saying to these Christians that he's writing to, I'm begging you. 
I'm pleading with you that you would take me to God in prayer and and pray for my utterance, for my speech, for the words that come out of my mouth. This man who knows theology backwards and forwards, this man who has written the book of Romans, realize that despite all of that, he still needs others to pray for him and to take him before God and ask God to do what only he can do. And Paul said, that is, give me utterance. And so if you were to look at Paul's prayer list, that he gives to the Ephesians, he, he, he writes down, pray that utterance may be given to me. Pray that God would give me the right words to speak, the right message. Literally, he says, pray that God would give me a word, but that word is a discourse, it's a message. Paul is saying, Ephesians, as you're standing on the battlefield, as you're involved in Vigilant, warfare praying. Would you remember me before God? Would you pray for me specifically and particularly? Would you ask God to give me utterance so that what comes out of my mouth are not my words, but that they are the words of my God? He, he, he understands that this utterance is to be graciously given. He can't earn it. He can't work for it. The the idea that he says may be given to me, he's recognizing that the message, that the discourse, that the words that he speaks don't come because you study the text enough. It doesn't come because you read the Sunday school literature or the children's church material. You can do all the studying you want. And you should study. And you should labor in the text. But ultimately, the message, the discourse, the words that come out of your mouth, you want them to be the words that are graciously provided and given by God himself. These words, this message that he wants God to give him is not for private meditation. It's not for personal devotion. He's saying, Ephesians, pray on my behalf that God will give me the words when I open my mouth. These words are to be uttered. These words are to be spoken. Paul is envisioning a circumstance, a situation where he opens his mouth and what he wants his mouth to be flooded with are not the words of his own thinking, but the words of his God. So that when I open my mouth, when that occasion comes, Ephesians, I hope you're on the battlefield praying for me. I hope you understand that I'm in a spiritual battle. I'm in a war. It's the evil day, so to speak. The flaming missiles are being thrown at me. And when that happens, I want to open my mouth and make sure that what comes out of my mouth 
is a divinely given message. I can understand where Paul's coming from. I try to labor over the text. I try to study, but that's not enough. God needs to give the message. God needs to give me. I'm not talking about some mysterious thing going on. I'm talking about as a result of studying the word. God, give me the words. Give me the message. And what Paul wants here, that the result of God giving him the words, the result of those words being spoken when his mouth is open, is that he wants to make known the mystery of the gospel. And he wants to do that with boldness. Paul understands and realizes he has a responsibility to make known to God's people and to all people the mystery of the gospel. And I realize we have not gone through the book of Ephesians We have not studied it verse by verse, so when we hear that phrase, the mystery, it sounds mysterious to us. It doesn't register with us. But yet on five other different occasions, Paul uses that phrase, the mystery. And when the Bible speaks of a mystery, it's not talking about something that is spooky, something that is mysterious, but it's talking about something that was previously unknown and now has been made known. And what Paul is focusing in on is not just the mysteries of the Bible, there are several, but he's focusing on the mystery of the gospel, the the good news of this mystery. And what is the good news of this mystery? If you look at Ephesians chapter 3, when you have time, you would find the good news of this mystery is that believing Jews and believing Gentiles are now part of one body in Jesus Christ. Maybe that doesn't register with you. But what Paul is saying, if we were to put it in our context, that believing slave owners and believing enslaved people are one people in the Lord Jesus Christ. That ethnicities that are divided, that you would never ever put together, that the gospel allows individuals to be reconciled to God, and not only to God, but reconciled to one another. And so Paul says, it's my responsibility. When I open my mouth, I want people to know that. I want people to know the the good news of the mystery that believing Jews and believing Gentile are one body in Christ. That God is doing a new thing. The church is a new thing. It's distinct from the nation of Israel. God is doing a new thing. And Paul says, Ephesians, will you be engaged in vigilant warfare, praying, On my behalf, will you take me, will you take my prayer items, will you take them to the Lord and cry out on my behalf? I'm on the battlefield for my Lord, Paul says. 
I'm the recipient of flaming missiles. Satan and his demonic beings are after me. And I want to make sure that when I'm given the opportunity to open my mouth, that what I'm saying is a message that is divinely given. And it is a message that proclaims the mystery, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You who speak on behalf of God. You could be a preacher. You could be a Sunday school teacher. You can be a children's church teacher. The list goes on. You who speak on behalf of God. Model Paul. Follow Paul. Use him as an example. Make sure that you're not too proud to beg others to pray for you and to lift you up in prayer. To take your circumstances, your needs, your particular requests in sharing the word of God to others so that they can be involved in vigilant warfare praying for you. Paul wasn't too proud to say, I need prayer. That I need you to pray for me. And so, Fairview, I say to you, I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray for me as a preacher, as a teacher, as a father, as a husband, as a man. I need your prayers. I ain't too proud to beg. I will get on my knees and ask you to pray for me. And I'm not ashamed to do that because Paul himself was willing to do that. We have a notion sometimes that we shouldn't let others know about our shortcomings, our weaknesses, our needs. And I'm not saying blast it to the whole world. But there ought to be some that you can share your heart with. There ought to be some that you can say, I'm on the battlefield for my Lord. It's getting intense. It's getting rough. Will you pray particularly and specifically for me? This is what I want you to pray. Not just pray for me in general, but in particular. And so pray. Pray for your spiritual leaders. Pray for those who communicate God's word. Pray for those who come to you and say, I need you to pray for me. In the last part of verse 20, Paul begs for something else. But there's something important that I failed to mention. And when Paul talks about making known this gospel, He wants you to do it boldly, with openness, with courage. But he also mentions that he is an ambassador in change. He's an ambassador. That term is only used one other place in Scripture, in 2 Corinthians 5.20, where Paul says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were entreating us through you. We beg you on behalf of 
of Christ be reconciled to God. Paul says, I'm an ambassador. I'm a sent one who has been sent to particular individuals. And in Paul's case, Christ has sent me to those who need to know Christ. But what is weird, what is strange, Paul says, I'm an ambassador in chains. That is, he's in prison. Ambassadors in prison do not make sense. That's an oxymoron. That's jumbo shrimp. Because an ambassador, typically, instead of being put in prison, will be sent back to the one who sent him. But Paul says, I'm in, I'm in prison. I'm in a Roman jail. But I'm still representing Christ. I'm still a sent one of Christ. I'm still proclaiming the good news about Christ. I'm still trying to make known the mystery of the gospel. And so he prays that God would give him utterance. But as we come to the last part of verse 20, there's something else that Paul begs for. And he begs for boldness. He comes to the Ephesians and says, here's my prayer list. Pray, Ephesians, that God will give me utterance. But the second thing, Ephesians, that I want you to pray for me, pray that in proclaiming the mystery of the gospel, that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. He's praying. And he's really not praying, but he's saying, Ephesian, please be involved in vigilant warfare praying for me so that I will be bold when I have to open my mouth and proclaim the mystery of the gospel. This great apostle, this this one who teaches us how to live for God, this one who shares with us all of the riches that are ours in Christ, this, this one, as I said before, who knows theology backwards and forwards, prays, so to speak. He begs, he pleads, that the people of God would give him boldness. If anyone, I think, would have boldness, I would think that it's Paul. If there's anyone that, that I think that would be courageous, I would think that it would be Paul. If there's anyone that I could count on not being ashamed of the gospel, I think it would be Paul. But Paul is envisioning something coming forward in his life. It's like on his calendar, there's an appointment. He's got an appointment to meet. And when that appointment comes, he wants to make sure that he speaks boldly, that he speaks freely, that he speaks fearlessly. We don't know what Paul is thinking, what appointment he has in mind, but it's possible since he's a prisoner of Rome, that he's thinking about his appointment with Nero. 
the emperor of Rome. Because remember, Paul appealed to the emperor, and that's why he ended up in prison in Rome. Stay there for a couple years. But if that's the case, many scholars believe it is, then Paul is thinking about that time when he will appear before the emperor, appear before Nero, who gains the reputation of cutting people's heads off and putting Christians to death. If that's what he has in mind, He's envisioning that evil day. He's envisioning that day when Satan will be shooting his flaming missiles at him as he stands before Nero. And the thing that he wants is not to be a coward. It's not to back away and keep his mouth shut. He wants boldness. He wants to speak boldly, not brashly, not arrogantly, but courageously and fearlessly. He wants to make sure that he opens up his mouth freely at that particular time. And we can, in a small measure, identify with Paul. There are times that God puts us in circumstances where he wants us to speak on his behalf. He wants us to speak boldly, so to speak. Could be we're on an airplane and we're sitting next to a person that is clear, the person's not saved, and we say, oh God, why, why did you let this happen? Can I just go to sleep? Can I just kind of look at the Bible on my iPhone, instead of pulling out my big Bible. You know how we can get ashamed sometimes. That we're wearing a cross and we're talking like this. Paul says, I, as an apostle, face that real idea of being intimidated. Of being frightened. And I'm counting on you Christians at Ephesus. I'm counting on your prayers. I'm counting on the fact that you have brought my prayer list before God. And that you have been praying that God would give me the right message. You've been praying that God will enable me to speak boldly. To to speak as I ought to speak. As an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul faced the real challenge of speaking boldly. Don't feel like you're alone in that situation. God gives us opportunities to speak to a neighbor, to speak with a co-worker, to speak with somebody even at church who's visiting. And there's that tendency to speak about everything else but not the mystery of the gospel, not the good news, how believers in Christ are joined together with other believers in the body of Christ. I don't know about you, 
but it's challenging sometimes, particularly in this day and age, to proclaim what thus saith the Lord. For some people it isn't because their, their nature, their, their personality is they don't mind rubbing people the wrong way. They don't mind being brash, et cetera, et cetera. But some of us are sensitive. We care what people think, et cetera. And we need to be praying for each other. We need to be involved in vigilant warfare praying that God would not only give us the right words to speak, but that we will speak those words with boldness. I think about you young people as I look at you and you're going to college. It's going to be easy to not identify with Christ. And we need to be praying for them. And they need to be letting us know what we should be praying for them, that they might speak the words of God, that they might speak boldly. It won't be easy on these secular campuses to speak freely and fearlessly for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here was Paul. Here was Paul. And he models for us that we need to ask others to be praying that we would be bold when we speak the word of God. Vigilant praying that is a part of spiritual warfare means I am praying for all the saints. That's verse 18. And praying for all the saints will mean that it will manifest itself in general prayers. And there's nothing wrong with that. I can't pray particular prayers for all the saints. I don't know the needs of all the saints, but there are certain needs that I do know. So Paul prays general prayers for all the saints. He did that in Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, and in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. He prayed prayer. He let the Ephesians know, this is what I'm praying for you. But you look at those prayers, and you can use those prayers in praying for any Christian. You can use those prayers to pray for all the saints. But vigilant warfare praying also manifests itself in praying specific prayers for others. There ought to be people in our lives that we can go to and give them our prayer list. They ought to be able to read our prayer list that says, pray that I may dot, dot, dot. That's what Paul did. He went to the Ephesians, and he says, pray that I may be given utterance. Pray that I may speak boldly. We need to learn from Paul. There ought to be at least one person in our life that we can take our prayer list to and know that they will be involved in vigilant warfare praying for us. Particular requests 
requests that we might not share with everybody. If you get our prayer bulletin, and our quarterly prayer bulletin, and you look at it, all those different requests reflect requests from different people here at Fairview in different positions. Many times they are general requests. But I'm talking about the fact that there ought to be individuals in our lives that we can go to and share our deepest needs, our deepest wants, our deepest desires. There ought to be at least one person in your life like that. That when you are experiencing the flaming missiles of the evil one, when the evil day hits you, that you ain't too proud to bathe. You ain't too proud to get on your knees and say, pray on my behalf. I need you to take me to God in prayer. We're trying to be on the battlefield for our Lord and not utilize all the resources that are available to us. Yes, it's wonderful to put on the full armor of God. And yes, we are to be engaging our commander and praying and talking to him. And we are to be praying for all the saints. But oh, don't forget to pray for me. That, that ought to be your heart also. Not just because I'm a pastor, but you should be saying to somebody, pray for me. Pray for me. The, the missiles are being flamed at me. Things are hard. Things are difficult. Anybody can criticize. Anybody can complain. We need to be a group of people in light of the warfare that we're involved in where we say to people, pray on my behalf. So I encourage you, I ask you, take the initiative to follow in the footsteps of Paul. Share with at least one fellow Christian what and how they can pray for you. Spiritual warfare demands this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful passage on spiritual warfare. Thank you for showing us that there's a war going on. Thank you that you have instructed us on how we can stand firm on the battlefield for our Lord. You've commanded us to take up and put on the full armor of God. And yet you've also instructed us that that is not enough. That we need to be engaged in vigilant warfare praying. And so, Father, may we pray for all the saints. But may we not, may we not be too proud to beg and to ask your people to pray on our behalf. Use this text in our lives so that we can go to another brother or sister in Christ and ask them to be engaged in vigilant warfare praying for me, for us, on our behalf. Help us to realize 
that the battle that we are in, that the war that is being waged, that our enemies, Satan and demonic beings, demands that we let our brothers and sisters in Christ know that they need to pray for us. Use your word in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.